Father God, we praise you this morning, and we, uh, we lift your name up, God. We love you. We give you our hearts today, our hearts and our souls, our mind and our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated here today. Well, we are in our second week of our series, our new series that we just started last week called Reset. And in case you missed last week or maybe you're a little bit fuzzy and kind of forgot about it, I want to reset the series for you a little bit here and kind of set the table so we make sure that we're on the same page. Last week, Ron talked about the fact that many of us in life are stressed, we're overloaded, we're pressured, and, and uh, really burnt out and working ourselves to death. And uh, there's a, a quote from Brady Boyd in his book, Addicted to Busy which doesn't fit any of you at all, I'm sure. He said this, ultimately, every problem I see in every person I know is a problem of moving too fast for too long in too many aspects of life. Sound like your life at all, at least from time to time? Well, there was a religious man in Jesus' day that was experiencing that same overloaded feeling, that pressure to, to perform, and certainly their lifestyle wasn't as busy as ours, and yet in, in very significant ways it very much was. He was a, a, a Jewish man, and uh, there were over 600 individual laws that, the, the, that were put upon the Hebrews, on the Jews that they had to follow, and talk about busy and crazy, trying to keep all the plates in the air spinning and following along all of the things. And he just felt massively overworked and, and confused and overwhelmed. And really that many laws to try and follow was, an, was a recipe for overload and disaster. So, so this overworked and highly pressured man, he came to Jesus really seeking clarification about the law. Knowing that there were the over 600 laws that he was supposed to follow, know and actually follow. Almost I, you feel like he's coming to Jesus for clarification and says, God, Jesus, he says to him, he says, what, what's the most important law? What's the most important commandment? You can almost see him thinking, I don't know that I can keep all 600 plus of these things, but if I'm going to leave some of them out, I don't want it to be any of the really important ones. Let's kind of prioritize, right? This is a very sensible, methodical, he's a scribe, a man of good, good, solid thinker through things. And so he comes to him and he asks us, which commandment is the most important? And Jesus responds in Mark 12. He says, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And he goes on to say, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And it gives the man at that reset moment of from 613 overwhelming, and who knows beyond that how many to, you know what, this is what it is. Pause, reset, breathe, and let's refocus. Now, last week, we, we looked at loving God. Ron unpacked you know, the whole series, but looked at loving God with all your heart. And, uh, and um, I, I want to say this, as, as this series is really going to be about looking at loving God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind next week and all your strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself for a number of weeks. I want to make sure you understand something, that in our culture today, we love to compartmentalize everything. And we look to define and separate Things, and we're very comfortable with that. And so what we want to do is we want to say, okay, the heart's over here in a comfortable package tied up in a bow. Okay, now the soul's over here. Same thing. Let's over here. And then we'll do the mind over here. And we'll do the, ah, oh, that'll be great. We feel so good about that. And it's just not reality. Most of the world even today, let alone the Hebrew Jewish culture of that day, it's not that way at all. It's assimilated. It's messy. It's blended together. It, it isn't that simple. And I, I, I want to make sure you understand that there's going to be value in drilling down and looking at the soul specifically today. But I, I dare you to define where the heart ends and the soul begins. 
and, and the soul and the mind. Aren't there overlap? Isn't there a blend here? And so rather than think we've got, here's a nice orange here, and here's a banana here, and here's an apple here, and here's a pineapple over here or something like that, that we can easily keep separate, our beings are, are really more like a smoothie, right? At first, I thought a fruit salad, but, you know, it's kind of all together, but still you can pick it out. It's more like a smoothie. You can taste each part of it, and each part's vitally important, and yet really can you, if it was a smoothie, can you really say, here's the, maybe you get a chunk of banana from time to time or something, right? But, but it's all blended together. Now, I share that with you for this reason, in that as we talk about heart and we talk about soul and mind, Gosh, that's not the definition I thought heart was or soul is or whatever. What we're going to try to do is understand that there really is a blend. And, but what we do want to try to say, when, when he mentions the soul, what is he talking about? I believe what God's really saying is love God with all your being all the time and everything. And that includes every aspect of you. So, again, if our definition of soul today is a little bit different and maybe not as expanded as, as what you might have thought of the soul for us to be able to drill down and talk about things in the heart realm. We've done that. Things in the soul realm will do that, knowing that that probably includes some of the mind and the thought realm and, and on through there. So just a curiosity about ourselves, but also to give us a framework for where we're headed today uh, through things. So um, when, we, when we read Mark 12:30, and this is in your outline if you want to follow along, there's a few fill-in-the-blanks. There's a few blank spaces for you to write down whatever you'd like uh, as well, and so we sometimes enjoy doing that. But Mark 12:30 is, again, in the midst of that. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, and I put in bold all your soul because that's where our attention is going to be today, all your mind and all your strength. We can ask the question. It's there in your outline. What is my soul? What is my soul, really? Again, understanding that we're talking about a smoothie here, but we're going to try to separate the banana out of the smoothie or something. That's kind of weird, I know. But what is my soul? Now, darn it, there isn't a fill in the blank, see? Because that's because there's an exact definition. I want to kind of talk more conceptually of what we're going to deal with today. My soul, when we're talking about it today, really we're kind of talking about my will. It's, it's the command center of my life, the volitional part of who we are. You make decisions with your soul. It guides you. It's the control center of your life. Okay, so if you kind of like, what is that? We really kind of talk about will. Now, how do we get to making a decision and all of that? Well, there it's pretty complex, but soul in that part, that's kind of how we want to address it today. Now, God calls us to love him, love him with all of our soul, which means 100% of our soul all of the time in every way. Clear enough, right? All your soul. And quite honestly, although this isn't trying to keep 613 different laws, all my soul, all the time, is absolutely impossible without total and ongoing surrender to the Holy Spirit. On one sense, we have a reset that Jesus says, oh my goodness, right here, let's focus on what's truly important. And there's a, an exhale. And yet when you drill down, you start saying, really, all my soul, all the time, let alone all my heart and soul and mind and strength, all the time. And so really, we, I just want to say that as we talk about on a human level some of the things we want to pursue today, it's only through the inspiration, the motivation, and then the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to get there. If you've just chosen to give Jesus your life, and you've, you've given your life over to him, you've asked for his forgiveness, you've asked for his leadership, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you who's the one who's going to help you get there. For those of you that haven't made that decision today, that's totally okay. God wants you to make that decision. He allows you to do that. 
without having that Holy Spirit inside of you, this is not something that's really attainable. So I just want to kind of set the table with that this morning. I really need to saturate my soul with God and his word so I can choose the path to put God first, so I can continually do that. So as we talk about loving God with our whole soul today, we, we need to understand that our choosing to love and follow Jesus in every moment is both inspired and empowered by him, not our own human efforts. efforts. So, you know, before we dive in too much deeper, as I thought this week about the idea of loving God with all my soul, a verse, kind of a crazy verse, came to mind from Psalm 42. It's in your outline. And I think it paints a great picture. It says this. Psalm 42 begins this way, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. As the deer pants or thirsts for the water, for the streams of water, of living water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And I got this great picture in my mind. See, it says, my soul pants. And I thought, you know, you picture that, I'm really, you know, the tongue out panting kind of thing. And then I thought, you know what? In, in the culture that day, they're talking about a deer panting. I've never seen a deer panting. I have plenty of dogs panting, right? You know, that the big baloney tang, tongue hanging out. So I went online. And I looked to see, can I find a video? Because it has to be something real. The, they're writing about it. And I did find a couple of video clips of deer panting. What a fascinating thing. And they were all so low resolution that on the screens, you couldn't even see them. You know, as someone in their cheapy little, you know, phone, video phone from a few years back. I did find some pictures that I do want to show you, some little video clips that will maybe give a little bit of a feel. So let's go ahead and toss those up. <laughs> love the noise. Love the noise. As the fox pants for streams of water. As the bear pants for streams of water as the pregnant cat <laughs> pants for, for, for living water, streams of water, and to be not pregnant anymore through that. I, I love this idea here in that I ask myself, do I want God that much? You know, I even like, am I going to stand up front here in church and know that I'm going out to video to Eschaton and Wayne Brown and other places and actually put my tongue out and go, because <laughs> that'd be really silly and I'd look stupid. I want God so much, <laughs> my tongue's going to come out. I'm like, God, where are you? I want you. I'm, I need you. My soul is reached. God, I want you. I want you that bad. And I realize that's not my experience a lot of the time. Yeah, I think God's a pretty good idea, but do I pursue him? Do I pant for him? That's what the psalmist is writing. What a great picture. Do I want God that much? And and I guess I, I'd ask that of you as well, you know. Um, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit that comes into us as we follow Jesus gives us that the desire that, desire that we become gr a group of panters. Oh, Twin Cities Church, those, those are those panters, <laughs> you know. Those ones that are they're panting after God. I desire, I thirst for God in all aspects of my life. Well, I want to dig into our souls today. Again, understanding the compartmentalization, we're going to look at this one aspect of our being here to see where God may want to work in us. And so in your outline, since my soul is largely my will, we're kind of taking a look at our will today, that part of it, that choice, that command center of our lives, our pursuits. Then I choose, because that's what our soul is, the choice part of us, to love God. First of all, I'm going to choose to love God regardless of my emotions. Regardless of my emotions. So this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. We talk conceptual, even panting is a concept, but our emotions are, man, are they real, right? Now, I think you can say our soul includes our emotions, but we need to be careful that our emotions are just a part and, and certainly an affecting part of our soul. But we need to make sure that it's not the deciding, that the, most, the defining part of our soul. 
our, our souls need to choose to follow Jesus and love God, even if our feelings aren't pushing us in that direction. You know, we need to base our decisions on truth because truth stays the same. Don't emotions go up and down? <laughs> All too often, emotions change, but truth stays the same. And so rather than going on the emotional roller coaster ride and our decisions get kind of jerked all around, you see, I think it's easy to choose to love and follow God when we're here at church taking part in awesome worship with our band, you know, right here, wonderful songs. God feels so present. And it's so easy to follow Jesus when you're sitting out in nature, you know, you're enjoying a beautiful sunset. Maybe, maybe you're at the beach, you're listening to waves crash, and it's just those moments that you're experiencing God's beauty. You know, maybe you're in the mountains where, where we live or up higher, you're listening to birds, you're overlooking a stream, and oh man, God is so present. That's easy, you know, because we see and hear the beauty of God, so we, it's easy to set our soul in, on him, you know, to choose to love him. God, you're so good. This is amazing. This is awesome. But it's not always that easy, is it, Right? You know, when, when someone, someone cuts us off in traffic or drives way too fast in the slow lane or causes some major issue in the traffic and our temper starts to rise a little bit, you know, it's not so easy to choose to act on our love of God when, when someone talks behind our back and, and, we, and, and, and it causes a mess and then we have to forgive them. We get to forgive them. We're called to forgive them. Even they made, they made a mess with their, with their spiteful gossip. Not so easy to love God. It's sometimes not easy to follow God and love him when I pray, and I don't physically feel his presence. God, are you there? And when I read the Bible, and, and it doesn't stir my heart, but rather it just seems to sit there like words on a page. You know, it isn't just you that has that experience, by the way. Because I think sometimes you fall into that deceit that, man, sometimes I pray and it feels like it's not being heard. Sometimes I read the Bible and it feels like it's just nothing. I can't tell somebody that. I would sound so unspiritual. Me too, sometimes. It's not true, but it's a feeling. But it's hard to follow and to choose to love God when those emotions aren't there, when I'm just not feeling it, you know? I don't feel like loving and trusting God right then. I don't feel like praying or reading my Bible or singing or even going to church. And quite honestly, thank you for being here this morning. Some of you didn't feel like coming. Yay that you came. Some of the empty chairs, not to slam anybody, life is difficult and all those things, but some of the empty chairs are someone who didn't feel close to God and didn't feel like coming, so they didn't come today, and they missed a chance to meet with some of God's people, to worship together, and then maybe hear from God in a new way, because our feelings so often define us, and yet it is not who we are. I didn't come to church, I didn't pray, I didn't do it because I'm not feeling it. And the feelings seem so real, they seem so strong because they're present, they're right there, they feel so valid, and, and, and they can seem so real that I want to put my trust in them, but the truth is they mislead us. And I started thinking about that like with marriage. I, I, I love my wife, Debbie, and I'm committed to her no matter how I feel at the moment. I may be in a disagreement with her, and, and maybe at that moment she's not my, not my best friend at that second, right? You know, things are getting tense. And my emotions may even tell me that I don't love her right at that specific moment. Grr. Okay, so I got a pant, and now I got a grr. Sorry, I'm going animal this morning. But the truth is that our marriage is for life, and I love Debbie more than anything in this world. Excuse me. My love is based on the choice I made over 21 years ago when I chose to marry her. And I chose Debbie when I, when I felt like it, and I choose her during the times when I don't. I can't fall out of love with her because I didn't stumble into it. 
Instead, I, ch I chose her to be my love, and she chose me. And it's just a small picture of my relationship with Jesus. It's a small and a finite comparatively thing there. But our feelings can twist us in so many directions, can't they? But, but I'm in a love relationship with God that isn't based on how I feel at any one moment. My love is based on his love. And his love doesn't change. It doesn't end. It's ongoing and it's overwhelming. It's based on the faith he gave me way back when I first received his gift of love and eternal life in Jesus, like I talked about when I first said yes to Jesus. It's a covenant love that I trust way more than I trust my feelings. It's a covenant love that's been given and sealed in me, whether I feel it or not. Romans 1.17 says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. That, that's Jesus coming and, and bringing us back to God. This is accomplished from start to finish by feelings. Oh, wait. No, it's not. This is accomplished from start to finish by, say it, faith. As the scriptures say, it's through feelings. No, there I go again. It's through, say it, faith that a righteous person has life. Because faith and the truth that it's based on doesn't change it, but our feelings so often do. I feel in love. I don't feel in love. I feel in love. I don't feel love. I feel so happy. I feel unhappy. I feel good. It, those just change. And what a roller coaster ride. It's kind of fun in terms of the emotions God gives it for a variety of life, but that's not what our faith is based on. It's through faith that a righteous person has life, not through feelings. And, and then there's verses like Philippians 4 4. I love this, it's hard. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, there it is. The whole book of Philippians is again and again, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Rejoicing is a choice. It's not a response to emotions. How do you feel, Paul? Doesn't matter. Rejoice always. Right now, I'm going to choose that. I will love the Lord my God with all my soul because he deserves it, not because I feel like it. That, that's my choice I'm going to make. And my emotions have nothing to do with it. So I choose to love God with my entire soul regardless of my emotions. Does that make sense? Okay. Unfortunately, there's more potential barriers to our loving God with all our soul. Next, since my soul is largely, again, my will, we're talking about that decision part of our life, then I choose to love God regardless of my circumstances. Not just because of my emotions or regardless of my emotions, but also my circumstances. You see... Our circumstances can be another potential major hindrance in our soul's uh, pursuit and love of God. And so we just want to state that here to admit the power, the power that our circumstances seem to have over us. Again, it's easy to choose to love God and follow him closely when I'm fully employed and financially well off. But when the bills pile up and when I've lost my job and things are tight at home and and. And, and, and then the car blows up and some unexpected bills and things start getting in. And it gets a whole lot tougher, doesn't it? It's easy to choose to love and follow God closely when my relationships are all solid. When I have people replenishing me and refreshing me and pouring into my life very positive and affirming and encouraging things. But, but when my kids are going sideways and my friends are ignoring me or, or seem to misunderstand my heart. And when my marriage relationship is strained. That choice to love God gets tougher, doesn't it? When the things around us seem to be falling apart. It's easy to choose to love God and follow him closely when things are going well in, in life. But, but when my, my loved one gets cancer out of nowhere, when my close friend is tragically killed in a car accident, when, when life seems to be working against me every single time I turn around, that choice to actively love God, it gets harder. It gets harder. 
the power of circumstances can seem overwhelming, and yet these circumstances only seem to have power over us. They don't actually have any real power. Just like emotions, they can put pressure upon our souls from the outside, seeking to push, push us in a different direction, which is really away from God and his best. And yet the Bible speaks to us again and again and again about this, giving wisdom and guidance to our souls. Verses like James 1, uh, I just chose several to talk to, to put down, but James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Uh, there we go. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, when you, not if you, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. steadfastness. And God says, God verbally says, in a sense, love me, trust me, even in the midst of trials, trials that are inevitable, not will they come, if they come, when they come, they're there for, for by, that, by the way, that's when your love will bear fruit as you choose to walk closely with me, says God. Consider it joy because this is when fruit will take place. This is even a good thing, God says. And other verses like 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, circumstances, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing, uh, sounds fun, yay affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have verses after sets of verses after verses in the Bible talking about, man, things are going to be tough, and yet the big picture is we have a God that loves us, and we have a God who's not surprised by these things. We have a God that's working through these things. We have a God that has a goal and a purpose through these things, and he has a, and, and he has a plan for you to spend eternity with him in perfection in heaven and his family, and that can put a smile on my face. You see, I can choose to love, remember choose, I'm choosing to love God, to follow him, choosing to love him with my attitudes and then with my actions, regardless of my emotions, how I'm feeling, regardless of my circumstances that may again go up and down sometimes like my emotions that are there and I say, God is the stable one. God is the one who's not surprised by my circumstances. God is the one who is God through my circumstances. And third, since my soul is largely my will, then I choose to love God and the third regardless Regardless of how much I want to be in control myself. Regardless of how much I want to be in control myself. And I put the words down in quotes, I surrender. That's your choice to say that. You see, the third potential hindrance to our, 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 our staying faithful to our choosing to love and follow Jesus is um, ourselves. We looked at emotions, we looked at circumstances, and now it's just flat out looking at ourselves. And this is a big one. You see, instead of saying, instead of saying, I surrender right at the beginning, we jump into life determined to solve things on our own. Because it feels pretty good and it makes us feel like, like I got this. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they said, I want my way over God's way. I want my will over God's will. God said he has a plan, this is right, this is wrong. But you know what? I think I'm going to do it my way. How'd that work for him? right? Not so well. And we all continue to then bear the burden of that as sin entered the world and we continue to, to deal with that. It gave God the opportunity to demonstrate his love by sending Jesus. But we want our way. I want my way. And, and, uh, and, and yet, why do we think it'll be any different for us than it was for Adam and Eve, right? You know, I just, I just want to control things. 
The verse that Mark, Pastor Mark read earlier from Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Seeking his will, not your own. So, so he's basically saying don't depend on yourself. Not yourself, not your emotions, not your circumstances. Seek his will and, and don't be determined to force your own will to be in charge. And he will guide your steps. And I thought about it because it's true for me. We love being able to exercise our own wills, don't we? You know, Something as small as what shoes am I going to wear today? You know, what food do you want to eat today? You know, after service, what am I going to eat? Where do you want to go? How do you want to spend your money? Who do you want to spend your time with? And, and, and God gives us the opportunity to make those choices, but we start glorifying in them. This is about me and what I want, you know? And by all means, wear the shoes you want to wear within reason. But God says, my will, God's will, is so much more important I feel like the more we exercise our own will independently of God, does he care what shoes I wore today? The more we exercise our will separate from God's will, the more we start to think, that feels pretty good. And the hand that holds God off gets pushed out and pushed out. Our own will can get in the way of God's will all the time. And Loving God with all our soul means to choose him and to allow his will to be in charge, not our own. To surrender, to submit completely to him and his will. To really bury your will under his in a sense. And is this hard to do? Absolutely it is. It is. And yet it's essential in loving God with our all. Jesus Christ, the one and only son of God, he had to exercise the choice himself. The night before he was crucified... I started thinking and looking at, at the concept of the will, and Jesus was facing this prospect of carrying the sins of the whole world upon his sinless person. Not, you, sometimes we think his agony before his death was he was afraid about getting nails put through his wrists and stuff, and sure, that was part of it, but bigger issue was this sinless God in the form of man is going to take on your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin, all of our sins for all time, going to come upon him, the penalty of the sin, and oh yes, by the way, get beaten early to death, crown of thorns, all those stuff, carry the cross, nails, all of that that whole process. And so as he's in the garden the night before his crucifixion, knowing what's coming up, saying, there's a part of me that really wants to bail out. And he's talking to God about this. He's agonizing over it. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood. I've never been in that much agony myself. I don't know about you. He's agonizing over this. And, and this is the Easter story from a few weeks ago, but it's not a story. It's a reality that still lives today because Jesus, who rose all those years ago, two weeks ago, is still alive today. He goes to God three times in agony to talk about the same thing in prayer. And each time, he comes up with the same choice. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And I believe they just kind of truncate it and keep it right to the point, trunk, you know, truncate it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus himself saying, you given me a choice? I think I'd like to explore another option in a sense. But you know what, God, it's your will that's important, not mine. Your will, not mine. Not my will, which I personally prefer, but I choose your will. I surrender to your glory because I love and trust you. And folks, that's what loving God with all of our soul is. 
not so much what do I want today in this situation, in this circumstance. It's what do you want? What would you have of me? And the writer of Psalm 25 has the same understanding that his soul needs to be given to God completely. He says, to you, Psalm 25, right from the beginning, verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Here it is, God. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Right? It's one more time saying it's, it's not my will, it's your will. If Jesus needed to do that, Jesus chose to do that, I certainly can do that. God, I choose not to hold on to my own will, to try to control things on my own. I lift my soul to you. It's yours. I actively choose to trust you with my life and my will. It's so easy to want to trust ourselves, to put our own will on our choices first. But that's not loving God with all your soul. That's not God's perfect plan for us. So we've looked at our whole being, the smoothie, tried to single out what the soul is here in the process, really saying it's all of this that goes all in for God. And let's say you go for this and say, I, I want to decide to choose to love and follow Jesus with my soul, regardless of my emotions, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of, of my own desire to be in control, you know, my will first to control my life. Well, where does that get you? What's the result? What does that look like? In your outline, a bunch of words in bold and only one to write in. The result, no more burnout, not stress, not craziness, but revival, refreshment, restoration. I like those R words, at least these R words. If I could trade the burnout and the craziness and the busyness and the stress and the pressure and all that out of control, overwhelming stuff in my life, if that could be pushed to the side to be replaced with revival, new life, with refreshment, a fresh movement, with restoration. And I listed those not things first, the burnout and all that, because that's what we experience all too often. Even in our spiritual lives, you know, it's, it's what that man was experiencing way back when he went to Jesus and said, Jesus, 600 bazillion laws, what's the most important? Jesus goes, reset. Refreshment, opportunity, new life. To break away from that performance-based, you know, the spinning hamster wheel that keeps spinning and doesn't ever get you anywhere, that overwhelms us and never, never makes progress. We give God our soul. We love God with our, with our entire soul. We give him our will completely. We surrender, and, and he takes away the craziness, the never-ending spin cycle. He replaces it with refreshment and revival and with new life. And the very popular, very well-known Psalm 23 starts it off. The Lord is my shepherd. Does that sound familiar? I shall not want or be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Restores means so often in this spin cycle, we kind of lose track of our soul. And God says, oh, let me bring that back together for you. Let me bring that back together. I want to restore that, put it back in place. That's so good. A great picture of a great truth. And I feel like we long for that, you know, that fresh touch, that restoration, that just something that's missing. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's so many wonderful, beautiful words, these revival, restoration, refreshment here. Because the truth is your soul may be feeling beaten up, worn down, even lifeless. There's just nothing there. And God brings revival to your soul. He offers to do that new life to your soul, an injection of power and life and purpose and peace. 
as you love him with your soul completely, as you turn over your will to his will, and God brings refreshment. So God calls us to love him with our whole being all the time. Choose to love him regardless of our emotions, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our own desire to control things. And, and then God calls us to, to thirst for him. That's where we started back a few minutes ago. And we can only do that as we yield our whole selves to him on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. And it all comes down to this. Are you willing? Are you willing to turn your will over to his will all the time? And if there's that small part of you that says, I'm interested, I'm just not sure, or maybe I'm all in, either way, the prayer is, God, make that true in me, because you aren't going to do it on your own. That surrender, that opening up your hands, it's a choice that God calls you to make, but allows you to make. And would you pray with me? Father, thank you for um, making us the way that you did. We're complicated beings, Lord. We're not separated necessarily the way we like to think, compartmentalized. We're one big messy smoothie, Lord. And yet thank you that you've made us this way and that you've called us then, Lord, to respond to you and to give you our faith, our trust, and our love. Not just conceptually, God, but in a moment-to-moment basis to say, my emotions, my circumstances, my own desire to be in control, those can go in the backseat as I put your will first, God. And my life today, even on a church day, will look different, God, when I say that when my decisions will be, God, what do you want? How do you want me to interact with this person today? How do you want me to take these steps? What do you want my attitude to be? What do you want my words to be to my, to my family, to my, to my neighbors, to the people that I encounter? How do you want to change me, God, as my will submits to yours, Lord? And Father, maybe there's even just one person out here today who has not submitted to you yet, who's not given them their life. I talked about it several times. And if that's you out there today, it's a simple process of believing in Jesus, understanding who is, who, who God says he is, God in the form of man who gave his life for you to take the penalty of your sin and to offer you new life that we've talked about and eternal life. And you confess your sins, you confess Say, I did it, God, I'm not perfect. And you receive his love, you ask forgiveness, and ask him to lead your life. And he comes in, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and the refreshment, the renewal, the revival begins. God, some of us, we prayed that prayer recently, or maybe many, many years ago, and we need your refreshment today, right now, Lord. So we receive that as we give our wills to you. It's so difficult, God, but it's so essential as we look to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.